rientra, tocca ancora per Lukman, Ederson col destro la piazza e fanno 7. Hello and welcome to Say a Spotlight Season 2 Episode 21 with your host Jake and Matt. Good to be back and bringing you another episode. As you guys heard from our intro, our goal of the week was Edison's strike against his former team in Salernitana. That was the sixth goal out of eight that took place for Atalanta against Salernitana with 10 goals being the total tally in that match. What a goal that was, what a game that was. We'll talk about that very soon, my brother. Um, our bet this week, say our spotlight slips, was a Milan outright win and a Roma win or draw. Perhaps it was a little bit audacious of us to bet that uh, Milan would outright beat Lecce, considering that they've been struggling and Lecce have looked like quite the formidable side. But yes, another loss on the slips, baby. We'll be back next week. Yes, sir. We'll be back and probably disappointed again, to say the least. Don't forget, guys, if you want to keep track of our bets and just track of us in general, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Serie Spotlight. Don't forget to give us a follow and a rating wherever you're listening, be it Spotify, be it Google Play, Google Play or Apple Podcasts. Wherever we are, we hope to see you guys. Yes, excuse my voice, by the way, guys, this episode is going to be a little bit raspy. I didn't have a voice on Friday and Saturday. I got a throat infection. I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even breathe or swallow, man. I'm telling you. You're um, a nightmare when uh, you're sick, man. Bro, I get so sick. Like you, you never get... I get man flu. No, you never get sick. You you always get fucked up. Like, yeah, wh- why can't you never have a cold? It needs to be a throat infection. Oh, no, man. Or why can't you have gastric? You'd have an infection in your fucking... Yeah, what like was it? In your kidneys? Or, yeah, man, or a cyst on your head and, and <laughs> stuff like that. You're I'm fucking fucked, weird, bro. man. Yeah, man, I'm fucked. When I'm older, it's going to be something way worse. But anyway... <laughs> Um, I had a spit bucket for two days, dude. Yeah, the spit bucket. Just so for I wouldn't have days. to go through the pain of swallowing. I was just spitting into a bucket. Fucking respect, bro. Yeah. You, you do and what I, you have to do. And then at one point, I just fucking puked into it. Bro. I, just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore. I went to spit it, and it was a sight of it. I just puked right into it. <laughs> bro, that was fucking disgusting. You were communicating with us through what you were You were, you were typing on Google Translate yeah. and just hitting play. No? Literally, literally <laughs> typing on Google Translate, hitting play, like, get me water. <laughs> and then I think it was yesterday or the day before that you got your voice back and you had so much to say. You just wouldn't shut the fuck up after two days of pure radio silence. If you guys have never met Jake, no, he's, he's quite a chatterbox. Both of us are, which is why we yeah. essentially have a fucking podcast together. But he doesn't stop because he spent two days not speaking. He spent 24 hours, bro. Had, Every topic under the sun we covered. I had 48 I hours of points to make. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Milan Lecce in pure <laughs> silence alone <laughs> with Sarah sleep next to me like a serial killer, bro. <laughs> Just glaring at the TV. I can't breathe. I can't fucking speak. Nothing. It was amazing. Man, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was, it was an amazing... Um, Sight, I guess. Yeah. We did have a very good week of football, man. I mean, not many close encounters that took place. 
Um, obviously, there was Cremonese Monza that was quite tight. There was Empoli Sampdoria that was very tight. Torino Spezia. But I mean, we had a 5-1. We had an 8-2. Um, we had a couple of 2 nils here and there as well. So I feel like things are really starting to take shape now. And we can kind of see um, who the what teams are suffering, what teams are going to progress this season. I think, yeah, match day. I think we're on match day 18, 18 now. Yeah. Match day 18. <laughs> I think now is the time we start seeing that, like, if you're going to do well, you need to get your shit together now. I think in a couple of match days' times, it'll be too late. And I think we're starting to see that. We're starting to see mm. shape being taken in the standings. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, for example, you know, like, Udinese start. Yeah. We're about to see what it really was. You exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Fair point. So let's go through the happenings of this match day. So on Friday night, there was Napoli-Juventus, which was much anticipated. We're all here saying, oh, could Napoli get their second defeat of the season? Juve are on hot form. They've been really, you know, they've been a really well-structured team, getting three points in every match. Napoli cruise past Juve 5-1, the most embarrassing scoreline we've seen for Juve in the past few years. After that, it was Lecce 2, Milan 2, Milan pulling back from behind to equalize. They had 20 minutes to get a victory and they did not manage to do that. Inter scored in the third minute against Verona, then there were no more goals in the game as they won 1-0. Roma beat Fiorentina 2-0, a masterclass by Dybala in that match. Atalanta 8, Salernitana 2, uh, crazy, just crazy. And uh, as a result of that, Davide Nicola was immediately sacked after the match. It seemed like they're trying to find every reason to sack him after they survived because of him and they became the team that they are because of him. But that did lead to him getting sacked. Sassuolo nil, Lazio 2, no big surprises over there. Udinese 1, Bologna 2, stylistically a great match between these two, Bologna coming out the better team. Torino nil, Spezia 1, quite a big upset over there. Cremonese 2, Monza 3, Alvini was sacked after this match as well. It was a brilliant attacking display by Monza. They made a few subs that kind of got them um, uh, off the train for a while over there. Empoli won Sampdoria nil in a very tight and entertaining display with a lot and a lot of last-minute drama. What did you make, bro? We're blessed to get the opportunity to watch most of the games mm -hmm. this weekend. We were very, very chill. And yeah, impressive stuff all around, man. No, it was a great, great match day, man. Um, lots of entertaining games all around. In fact, I don't think there were many boring ones at all. You know, like Inter Verona, granted, won the lonely and they only scored in the third minute and they, they kind of just kept it for the rest yeah. of the game. But there was a lot of stress for Inter at that game, like towards the end. It oh, became man. quite stressful, the fact that they didn't add to their... To their advantage. Yeah. And Spezia managed to hold the one the lead against Torino as well. A very brave performance. No, no, it was a great match there overall. Agreed, man. Agreed. I think without further ado, we could head Let's into it. Going, yeah. Um shall I start? Shall Go we do it that it, way? Bro. Sure, okay. So we'll start with obviously the Friday night match, the biggest match that we had this weekend. It was Napoli five. Juventus won, so for Napoli it was their 4-3-3 formation, they had Alex Meret in goal and what a performance it was by him, they had Di Lorenzo out on right back, Mario Rui out on left back with Minje and Rahmani forming the back two, Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa in the midfield, potentially the best midfield in the league this season, Kvaratskelia out on the left, Politano out on the right and Victor Osimen up front. 
For Juve, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Chesney in goal and a backline of Danilo, Bremer and Sandro. They had Chiesa getting his first start in a while. He played out on the right. Kostic played out on the left and it was McKenny, Locatelli and Rabiot in midfield with Milik and Di Maria playing up front. So in the 14th minute, Ossiman scored. He headed in a rebound after Chesney saved Kvartskelia's bicycle kick that made it 1-0. Moskov immediately in the 20th minute. Di Maria hit the crossbar from distance after a brilliant attempt, making it seem like this was going to be quite a close encounter. However, in the 38th minute, Kvartskelia scored. The Georgian slotted into the bottom corner after a square ball by Victor Ossiman. Bremer initially failed to deal with a long ball to the Nigerian and subsequently that is why his rating is so low in this match he wasn't exactly on the top of his form in this game in the 41st minute Di Maria pulled one back for Juve he finished cleanly into the bottom corner after a Milik layoff Kim was caught wrong-footed in the build-up and you know Di Maria made the most of it in the 47th minute still in the first half there was an incredible save by Alex Meret to deny a Rahmani own goal and he kept his side still in the lead heading into half time you think Allegri would have had a word with his team and his team would have come out a stronger team essentially but in the 54th minute there was a low outswinging corner to Rahmani from Gvaratskelia and he finished on a powerful half volley keeper absolutely rooted to the spot a rare goal you would see by Rahmani over there. In the 64th minute, Ossiman got his second of the night and the fourth for Napoli. He headed in after a great cross by Kvaratskelia. Bremer initially lost the ball to Mario Rui in defence. And there's another Bremer error over there, very uncharacteristic yeah. of him. In the 71st minute and then Elmas just killed all hopes that Juve had. He received the ball in space, he cut him past Kostic and his finish was deflected in by the sliding Alex Sandro. Napoli 5, Juve 1. Obviously, I don't think either of us expected that, bro. No, and to be honest, it looked like it was going to be one-sided from the get-go. Uh, Napoli started much better than Juve. It was only when Di Maria equalised that Juve managed to get some momentum and I thought, OK, this might be a comeback for Juve over here. Mm -hmm. But that didn't last very long at all because even before the first half even ended, they managed to get another one back, Yeah, um, Napoli. yeah, They had the opportunity over here to trim Napoli's lead from 7 to 4. Yeah, um, they would have announced themselves as like serious Scudetto contenders, but that did not happen. <laughs> they got no. absolutely annihilated, and Napoli tore them a new one. Quite yeah. frankly, um, this was Juve's worst loss in any competition in thirty years. Bro. Oh my god! And the last time they had a loss this bad, this caliber, um, it was a five-one loss away to Pescara in nineteen ninety-three, <laughs> and ironically enough. Allegri scored two goals against Juve for Pescara <laughs> How do you find that shit, man? It's so good. So good, man. Um, it's, it's just such a coincidence, right? Yeah. I, I think one, one strange thing about this game, well, it's not exactly strange. I think one thing we couldn't really put our finger on about Juve is that obviously they dictated the play in most of their games and most of their 1-0 victories it's because they hung on to possession for as long as they can and when they didn't have possession they gathered everyone behind the ball in the you know park the bus system so to say mm -hmm. and they didn't let anyone get even close to their box essentially Napoli over here where you know you don't need to give Napoli space for Napoli to have space they created their space they attacked directly every time they got the ball they were going for a goal like they wanted to score every single time they got the ball 
the midfield are worlds apart. I think you compare the midfield of Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa to McKenny, Locatelli and Rabiot. Worlds apart. Mm-hmm. Absolute worlds apart. And they, I think that is essentially where Juve lost the game in the midfield. It okay. was highly dominated by Napoli. And then just that front three up against Juve's defence, which has been the best defence in the league so far. They had conceded seven goals in the opening 18 matches. They conceded five in a single game. That's almost as many goals as they had conceded the season before. Yeah. Well, all of all of the season, actually. Do you think Juve have a problem with their defence and it just hasn't been exposed enough? Or do you think Napoli no. are just out of this world? I, I think that what went wrong with Napoli over here Sorry, with um, Juve over here. It's the antibiotics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they So, obviously, when you have Chiesa available, you play him. Yeah. Right, if he's at your disposal, he's saying, play me, coach, play me, you're going to play him. Now, sure, fair enough, but you're going to play him as a right wing back. He has played as a right wing back before at Fiorentina, not magnificently. No. And you don't want a player of that caliber, once again, with that offensive potential to waste so much of his energy on defensive duties. It's the same thing with Mbappe. You know, you don't ask Mbappe to track back all the time, lay out. You see him walking around a lot. Because if you get him to make three of their amazing runs a half, Mm. you have three good goal-scoring opportunities. Uh Uh-huh. Agreed. Now, he played Allegri deployed Chiesa as a fullback over here. Against Mm. who? (laughs) Against Gvaratskelia. Probably top two wingers in the league at the moment. Um... In fact, it was not only Chiesa, it was also Kostica, who, because of their offensive prowess, they, they often found themselves exposed with Gvaratskele and Politano going in behind. What does yeah. that mean? Danilo Bremer's Sandro all of a sudden stretches yeah. the back three to try to contain it. And then you have the likes of Zielinski, Ozyman, Politano, and all these fucking guys running in behind you. It was, it was just a recipe for a disaster. You know, I think Allegri set them up for failure over here. I think I think so as well, and, and not only because Chiesa's out on the right, so on and so forth. I think I think look, Chiesa out as a right wing back is definitely not the way that Allegri wants to play the team moving forward. And we can argue that this is a case of the injuries that they have, and maybe they needed someone who could run back and forth and back and forth for a full ninety minutes. And in that case, that man is Chiesa, but. Again, he's not a right wing back, and mm-hmm. that's not where his strengths lie. He needs to be played as close to goal as possible mm-hmm. because that's where he's dangerous 100%. I think Juve are addicted to this two up front system. And I think had they reshuffled it to a 4 3 3, they would have been a, a way more well balanced team. They could have had Kostic at left back, <clears throat> they could have had Danilo out at right back and had Bremer and Sandro, for example as the two centre-backs, then they would have had Chiesa as a right-winger going for Di Maria as a left-winger going for the Milik up front. I, I don't get it. Sure. But then, you Allegri risks the criticism of it going tits up and everything going wrong, right? Mm. And everyone's saying, oh, you've just won eight in a row without conceding with a 3-5-2 formation. You're going to change it against Napoli? Yeah, but he, he, he then he deployed Kiez as, as a right wing back to yeah. maintain that. And you know halfway I mean? through the game, he changed to a 4 2 3 1. They scored like three more. Exactly. <laughs> two, no, two more, two more. <laughs> but yeah, this was a fucking fireworks display over here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's more good for Napoli than it is bad Juve. I think, personally, that Juve are going to get back and keep they'll on winning fine. games 1 0 after yeah, they'll, this, they'll to be, be honest. Fine. 
This is this is just a, they they played against one of the most modern f- football mm. teams in the world at the moment. Yeah. Um, by the way, guys, Napoli are currently playing in the Coppa Italia, and their kit is a San Valentino special kit, and it's disgusting. I'm gonna throw they up. Have, they've got these lips right above their junk, dude. It's gross. It's terrible. And Balladini's first game in charge. Look at that. The coolest oh my god, he's already been yeah. appointed. What wow. Do? Congratulations. Oh look, Spalletti. Did you see that moment he had oh, with Allegri? Oh my god, man. Hilarious. I man. think Allegri. Saw him from the corner of his eye and tried to ignore him to not shake his hand, yeah, because of the pre-game beef. Yeah, um, where, where basically you've, Allegri was playing the, you know, we're not set up to to beat teams of this caliber kind of card, and Spalletti basically said you're set up to win the league and the Champions League, dude, with the signings you made. And, and he's probably enough. right. Yeah, he's probably right, but. Spalletti is about to do that, I feel, man. <laughs> I genu- might, uh, with, with the fucking team he created, man. I'm really I genuinely think, bro, I genuinely think that Napoli look like fucking Real Madrid here, man. I'm not talking about Real Madrid this year. I'm talking about fucking Real Madrid. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. They look fucking good, bro. And I can't stress enough. Those three players to me that, that stand out, head and shoulders above the rest, Kvaratskhelia, mm-hmm. obviously, Ossiman, obviously, yeah. and Lobotka. Yeah. I think because you look at the additions that they made, and the additions that they made were Kim Min Jae and Kvaratskhelia. Lobotka came in to replace Fabian Ruiz. Got two so called him fat and put him on the bench. Literally, he, he was fat and on the bench for a while, Lobotka. Mm-hmm. He came in. We've previously seen him line up in a kind of alongside them when they're not fielding their best squad. Yeah. Napoli last season and they always look good they together. Super, yeah. But Lobotka has come in and he's just this big, the guy is honestly one of the best registers in the league. Yeah, I think it's him and Benasser. Be I honest. think it is him and Benasser. Yeah. The season, I think it's him. Benasser has been quality, but Lobotka has just been on a different level. Now, obviously, he has the movement of his of his teammates up front he has a certain understanding with his teammates he's surrounded by two other midfielders rather than the single midfielder which is Tonali in Ben Asser's case but he's just, he's an artist man he's an artist Lobotka and, and he should get all the all the shirt sales in the world because he is a star in that team yeah. bro an absolute star in that but team but he's a he's an unsung star you know like yeah. the likes of Kvaratskhelia and Ozyman will obviously sell more shirts yeah um, Alex Meret yeah. had a good game he is a much improved goalkeeper to the goalkeeper we saw last year it's no wonder Napoli didn't bring in Kayla Navas and they didn't bring in any of these guys that they were rumoured to bring in he had a spectacular performance over here he had one of the saves of the season mm-hmm. when Rahmani almost turned the ball into his own net ah, yes, and he got save. down in Amazing. the 47th minute still laser focused acrobatically got down and palmed the ball away. I heard something about him having a new goalkeeper coach and, and that is part of the reason as to why he improved so much. And apparently Spalletti was the guy that appointed this guy. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, man. Spalletti is a very good man-manager, particularly. Mm. And um, he he deals really well with situations like this where you have kind of a good goalkeeper or a good player who's underperforming. Mm. Give them Spalletti, he'll bring the best out of them. He's a very good... A good man, I think it takes is what it yeah. takes to do that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention as well, bro. Um, Juve have only scored six goals away from home in Serie A this season. Ooh. Six okay. goals all season away from home only. Wow. 
they do the majority of their scoring. At home. At home, yeah. Like us. Like us. <laughs> 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 How many times this, this year have you scored away from home, bro? <laughs> <laughs> um, why am I answering? Like, what, what am I thinking about it? Instead of rather about my sex. I don't know, four or five. <laughs> No, I much prefer the score at home as well. <laughs> it's good here. It's nice here. The bed's comfy. Well, I mean, regarding that stat that you brought up, there's also a point to be made that they've missed Vlahovic for so long. Yeah, they've they've missed many starters, to be honest. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're set up to play on the counter during these away games. Yeah. For sure, for sure. I mean, I mean, there's no need to mention the list. I think we're all very aware of the list of <laughs> injuries that they've had. It was also interesting just not to see um, the Merettis play in this game, the Fagiolis hmm. There's an in interesting game. case to be made about McKinney starting. Huh? A very interesting because, case to be made because, because he, put, he hasn't been great. Exactly, and it put all of the creative pressure on Locatelli. Mm-hmm. So you have Rabio Locatelli, and then you have McKenny. When you could have easily put in Miretti or Fagioli, granted a game of this caliber, maybe you don't want to throw in your youth, but they're on better form than McKenny right now. They both look better. Hundred percent. No, I, I I agree. I I don't see. I don't think the midfield was well, not not well balanced because I mean it's perfectly balanced when you think that Locatelli plays, you know, between the defense and the midfield. You have McKenny that's more box to box, and Rabiot that's more offensive. But there's a bit of a lack of creativity over there. Mm. Rabiot's obviously he has that magical box to box ideal yeah, as well as well. well. I wouldn't say he's the attacking outlet either. They have someone they really missed having someone who could play that final ball over there and then that put a lot of pressure on Di Maria and Di Maria was doing a lot of work over there and he got the goal and 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 he fucking hit the post as well and he was the one creating Chiesa was wasted way out on the right I barely saw him all fucking game man Kostic the same he really couldn't get involved in the game because they were just getting ran over constantly and there was no there was no excitement by Juve. There was no spark whatsoever. And they just got absolutely, absolutely battered by this Napoli team. Yeah. Man. Allegri praised Napoli in the post-match interview. He said, there's no need to be, to be depressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> just like there's no need to get ahead of ourselves after eight consecutive wins. It's a defeat and we move on. It was Mourinho who initially said he'd rather lose one game 5-0 than five games 1-0. True. And that's the essential point that Allegri could be making over here as well. It's it's the same thing in principle. Um, He also blamed himself and Juve for having less energy than Napoli, a very vague thing to say. You know, um, Juve still have, ironically after this game, the best defence in the league with 12 goals conceded, second to Napoli who have 14 goals conceded. So they've just conceded five and they still have the best defense in the league. That's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's very impressive. So, yeah, we'll see how they recover. Yeah. And regarding Allegri's point about having less energy than Napoli, I mean, Napoli, it's, it's, it's like their own performance enhancers. The energy that they have and how they're constantly attacking and defending and running up and down and running into spaces and finding that pass and just the confidence that they have in every single 50-50. It's ridiculous. I don't think there's a side in the world that has Napoli's energy this season. It's true. To be fair to Allegri. They're like the football equivalent of Jeremy Fragrance at the moment. <laughs> exactly. Bang on. <laughs> Bang on. 
Napoli are obviously still in first and they now lead Milan by nine points, whereas Juve are in third, just one point behind Milan on 37 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Lecce 2, Milan 2. Lecce lined up with their 4-3-3 formation. Um, Falcone was in goal, Petzella on the left, Jean Dre on the right, with Umtiti and Baschirotta as the centre-back pairing. Gonzalez, Hulmand and Blin played in the middle with Di Francesco on the left, Streffezza on the right and Colombo up front, the Milan Loni. Tatarasano was in goal for Milan with their 4-2-3-1 formation. Calabria was on the right, Theo Hernandez on the left with Tomori and Kalulu as a centre-back duo. A double midfield pivot of Pobega and Benasser due to Tonali's suspension. Salamakers was on the right, Lea on the left and Diaz playing off the shoulder of Olivier Giroud. Are you sure Kalulu and Calabria were playing, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kalulu was definitely there because he was responsible for both goals. <laughs> it's like there was absolutely on that side of the defense. It's like there was no one. You see five Lecce players running and Calabria and Kalulu sprinting my God, my back. God. Dude, they opened Milan up so many Madonna. times. Wave after the first half, I, I thought. It was going to be a disaster. At one point, we should have been like, Milan should have been like 4-0 down. 100%. It was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah. It all started in the third minute when Theo Hernandez knocked the ball into his own net with his shoulder after a Di Francesco cross as he tracked back. Um, the attack was initiated after a ter- terrible short pass by Kalulu at the back. Yeah. In the 23rd minute, Bascarotto headed in as Hulman's cross found him unmarked as Kalulu failed to challenge the beast to a header. <laughs> in the 57th minute, Milan got one back. Um, Leao slotted the ball into the near corner from a tight angle moments after Falcone had denied Olivier Giroud. And in the 70th minute, Calabria scored. It was Pobega's ball into the box that was uh, headed by Giroud towards Calabria who slotted it in with his own header over there. Um, that means Milan had over 20 minutes to, to get yeah. the winner, to find the winner this game. In fact, at this point, I thought Milan are going to do it. Uh-huh. I, I, I was very confident, so much so that I started tending to errands around the house while the game was on. I was like, okay, now we can get one. Finally, the game is back to normal. We're back to square one. We have 20 minutes to find a goal. Um, the errands we, must have been really urgent. Huh? Yeah, we were getting ready to go out to dinner uh, at that at that point. Um, so I thought in the in the last twenty minutes, that's where Milan are very dangerous. Um, when not not exactly when they need a goal late on, but when the stakes are high, Milan mm-hmm. are Milan are very powerful. And I thought that something was going to happen over there. I was very disappointed that they managed to do virtually nothing in the last 20 minutes of the game. And especially after scoring two in quick succession like that and the momentum in Milan's favour, I did expect them to get the winner, man. It's true, same. Um, especially, you know, with the substitutions, Milan are meant to strengthen their team while Lecce are meant to, you know, weaken their team. But in reality, the way this Lecce team was set up, by the way, I'm a massive fan. I know I've said this a million times of this... Baroni Lecce team it's so everything yeah. is so methodical everything is so thought out like well planned mm-hmm. it's amazing like even the fact that he leaves players like Banda Gallo and Male on the bench yeah yeah he can actually you know keep up with the changes as the game goes on mm-hmm. um great great team over here great little team I also want to highlight Baschirotto I've done some reading on him and I want to to address this Titan at the back for Lecce. 
So Buscarotto is, first of all, very versatile. He can play as a right back, he can play as a center back, and play anywhere in defense, to be honest. He's six foot tall. He's a bodybuilder, essentially. Mm-hmm. You look at him, he's shredded. He has abs that Cristiano Ronaldo would be, would be jealous of. Yeah. And the first time I noticed how shredded he was was when he scored against Atalanta. And he flexed his muscles to the mm. crowd, and I was like, "Jesus Christ, that's yeah. not a, that's not a normal arm." Like he did that in this game as yeah. well. He did like a proper bodybuilder pose. Yeah, exactly. He did the the sideways one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My God. And um, apparently, according to his teammates, he only eats chicken and rice. Now, please note, this guy is Italian. So they tell him like, please, please, let, let's go out. Let's have a good piece of steak or a good plate of pasta. And he's like, no, chicken and rice. And like dessert, the word dessert isn't even in his vocabulary. I mean, respect to him, man. Yeah, he's honestly built like the Incredible Hulk, of course. <laughs> um, he scored two goals a season, one against Atalanta, one against Milan. He wears the number six on his back under the name Bascherotto, not to represent himself, but to represent the Bascherotto family. There's six people. There's his mother, his father, and his four brothers. Very nice little gesture over there. Yeah. His centre-back partner and World Cup winner, Samuel Umtiti, hailed Buscarotta to be one of the best defenders in the league. This season, he has yeah. been. He really has been one of the best defenders in the league, man. Incredibly versatile. He's obviously naturally a right-back. He was placed mm. as a centre-back early on in the campaign when Lecce were really struggling in the defensive region with injuries. Um, I remember we had that clip that we posted on Instagram as well, um, where Buscarotto and an, and a defensive midfielder, Blin, oh, I believe Blin, it was, started as the two centre-backs against I Inter. <laughs> and Inter won 1-0 with a last fucking uh, yes. second goal. And we're saying what a shift these two guys put in. Like He's been fantastic. He's been super. He can really play the ball for... Holy shit. Cremonese just scored against Napoli in the Coppa and I'm sorry, I got incredibly sidetracked. It's Pickel Pickel, with the goal. Exciting stuff. But yeah, very very well-rounded defender. He's very mature and he's very explosive as well, man. This is his first season in Serie A. Quite late at 26, but he most definitely deserves it for his hard work and humility, man. Yeah, yeah. And I think he'll go down as a lecture legend one day, unless obviously... Get some move upwards. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a big money move. Big mm. money move, isn't it? For Lecce standards, big money move. <laughs> or for himself, rather. Get a better exactly. salary. Exactly. But yeah, Lecce have a good thing going over here. Milan, bro, how will Milan recover from this? There's the Super Coppa Italiana on Wednesday night. That's tomorrow. Um, the last time Milan and Inter went head-to-head in the trophy was in 2011, and Milan won it. Ah, yeah, I was watching clips today. About that, I believe it was 2-1. Milan pulled it back, uh, brought it back from behind. It was a Wesley Snyder free kick that mm. opened the scoring. And uh, Boateng got got the winner in yeah. that game. Yeah. With that happen. Nice. Yeah. I, um, to answer your question, how do Milan recover? It's very interesting because I think Pioli is going to need to, number one, take a bit of responsibility and make the necessary changes in order for Milan to turn things around. So, for example, how come in this match there was such a massive gap between Kalulu and Calabria throughout the entire match? Mm. Lecce constantly had a very easy avenue to attack down from. Di Francesco looked like Mbappe (laughs) down that wing because he was constantly in bags of space. There was no pressure by Calabria no pressure by Kalulu. Kalulu was essentially a cone in that match. And I mean, no disrespect to them. I love them to bits, but they really struggled over there. I think 
the distribution from defense to midfield was poor. We saw Benasse coming very deep to collect the ball, and that kept Milan on the back foot. It kept them very low when they were trying to build the ball up from, from the back. I think over there we need to see a bit more of a ball-playing midfielder in certain scenarios. You brought up the point that Kier should be given a shout mm. uh, in certain defender, matches. Mean, right? Exactly. What did I say? Mm. Midfielder. <laughs> oh, wow. A ball-playing midfielder. Yeah, um, yeah I think... But Benasse, centre-back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe seeing Kier play a couple of games over there and obviously not to throw Kalulu under the bus because he's been doing a brilliant job as centre-back. But that was something that was very, very concerning in the past two games, man. No, it's, it's true. It's true. And in fact, I, there were talks of purely considering starting Kier on Wednesday, right? Mm. And in fact, I think that would be wise against Inter right now. You have a young player on a poor run of form. Give him a rest during the final, play him again in the league. See yeah. how he does, you know. Um, it's not the end of the world if you bench a young player in a final. No, it's definitely not the end of the world. It's very dependent on who Inter play as well, because if they're playing Correa and Lautaro, for example... You'd probably want someone more pacey than Kier, for example. You might want Kalulu to play over there. So obviously we could we could sit here and criticize Pauli for whatever decision he makes over there. It's not a tough task when you have someone like Kalulu had such a poor performance in the last game, and you have essentially a versatile. You have players like Gabia and Kier. <laughs> Our dog just did something really weird. You have people like Gabia and Kier who are dying for minutes and are chaining their asses off for minutes and. It's tough to say because you want to know the opposition starting 11 before you make yours, no? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, and I think they will leave it until tomorrow, you know, decision to be. I'm not sure. Do you think right now, Tuesday night, Pioli's mind's made up? Um, <laughs> I, I would think so. I'd like to yeah, think so. I think his mind's made up. We'll see. Like we'll see. So. We'll see what he does. And there's also the shout of rotation. Like it wouldn't no, be a bad. There's not shout. gonna be a roti any rotation. No, but if if he plays Kier, there mm. could be the excuse of we need to save our players mm. for the league, so on and so forth. Yeah, but it's a trophy, man. Um, yeah. One game that gives you a trophy. You know, this is everyone wants to win this. Um, even though people say, oh, it's just the Super Cup. We we all know how, like Milan fans know how they felt when they beat Juve in the Super yeah. Cup when Pasalic scored the winning penalty. <laughs> It was <laughs> Donnarumma saved the Balas penalty. Yeah. That was mad. That was a crazy game. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I don't know. I feel like Milan, they, they do this thing where they rush all their maneuvers too early on, almost as though it's the 80th minute from the get-go. Um, Pioli pointed that out after the Torino game yeah. in the build-up to the Lecce game. And True. it still happened against Lecce. Theo Hernandez had the worst performance I've ever seen by him, ever. I, I can't believe it took us this long, actually, to, it's to true. discuss it. Uh, the um, own goal, I think the own goal confused him. And especially in the first half, he was dreadful, man. Listen to these. So he played 45 minutes. He was subbed at halftime. He blocked one shot. He had two tackles out of four attempted. He scored one own goal. He had... Four ground duels, he won two of them. He lost possession 14 times. He had one foul, 41 touches, 61% accurate passes, one key pass, okay, not bad. <laughs> um, six long balls, three of them accurate, and one shot blocked. My God, man. Yeah, it's, it's the 14 shots, uh, no, sorry, 14 times possession lost, that uh, yeah. fucks me up. And um, the passing accuracy, 61%, like Jesus yeah. Christ. And obviously it's for that reason that he was subbed off at halftime. Mm. You think when Milan need a goal, you'd keep Theo Hernandez on and not replace him with Sergio Dest. 
Um, but who, it's just, played, who played quite well. Yeah, he was decent. Yeah. He was decent best. I don't mind him out on the left. I, I don't, don't mind, mind him, him in general post-World Cup. I think his World Cup was good and it gave him confidence. Fair enough, man. Yeah. Fair enough. What did you make of Poberga in this game? Because we're in a Milan chat and everyone in that Milan chat, anytime Poberga makes a slight error, then they shit on him. Yes, essentially. A, him and Tata Rusano were scapegoated. Yeah. It used to be Brian. No, and Tata, I've seen him be uh, being blamed for this yeah. for this loss. Yeah, and I saw him were tuned down. So I was like, you know, fucking Tata Rusano. Like, what? What the <laughs> hell? What the hell can he do when he has ten men in front of him and no one's putting in a shift? Like, what the yeah. hell do you expect? I mean, Tata he's Rusano made his mistakes, do? but yeah. not every goal we can see this is exactly. Pobega. Um, for me, he had a, had a decent performance, man. It wasn't the worst performance I've seen. Um, he was instrumental in both Milan goals. That he was. Coming back into it. And in the first half, just like I don't even count the performance because everyone was shit. That's true. That's you know? true. And, and he did have one of the few attempts that Milan had yeah. in the first ah, half yes, as well. He took a snapshot true. on the turn. Could have curled in on his day. Why the fuck not? I often see Pobega playing quite high up the pitch because he's got a rocket in his pocket. I do, however, think that that's not his place to be. And I think his place should be... He, he can't link up play going forward. That's not his strong point. Yeah, the flick-ons, he's not, it's not his thing. It's exactly. So I, I think he should be utilized further down and maybe you'd hope that like Brahim would be a little bit more active in which he was, to be honest, in going forward and tracking back and filling in that hole. Mm -hmm. Between the, the in the midfield, essentially, I think Pobega's link-up play wasn't great at all in this match, and I think the main thing we could take home from this is how important Tonali is mm -hmm. to Milan. Yes, true. The way he moves the ball around him and Benasser playing together—it's like just having the best midfielder in the world, having those two together. Um, and Pobega disrupted a lot of that play with you know his decision making, with certain passes, his output. So on, so forth. However, and then this wall bites me in the ass because he was involved in the two goals. Yes, that's the thing. But he, he didn't help me when it came to controlling the match, is my point. Yeah, um, he's not the Tonali type player. It's true. No. Um, but again, you know, 23 years old, super versatile, can be played in the hole, like where Diaz has played to a different style, though, not for yeah. this quick like link up. Yeah. But yes, I think there's a bright future for Tommy P. I'm not sure. If it's at Milan, but we'll see. The management seem very happy with him. Agreed. Um, Milan currently sit in second with 38 points, while Slecce sit in 14th with 20 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Inter 1, Verona 0. So Inter started in their 3-5-2 formation with Onana and goal and the back line of Bastoni, Acerbi and Skriniar. They had the mark out on the left with Darmian out on the right. They had Mkhitaryan, Chalanoglu and Gagliardini as the three midfielders. Barella was rested and Brozo still injured. Lautaro Martinez and Zeko up front with Lukaku injured. Verona fielded a 3-4-2-1 formation with Montepo between the sticks, Davidovic, Hien and Ceccherini at the back, De Pauli out on the right with Faroni still injured, Doeg out on the left and a midfield two of Tamez and Illich, Kalon and Lazovic behind Juric. 
So the only goal, as we mentioned earlier in this game, came from Lautaro Martinez in the third minute of the match. He slotted the ball past five defenders and into the bottom corner from just inside the area. Very good finish by the Argentine over there. He did think he got his second of the night and made it two for Inter in the 62nd minute, but his goal was disallowed after his tussle with Davidovic was deemed a foul. The finish was once again super clean as he chipped the outcoming Montepo. So Inter scored early and looked to slow down the tempo and control the game from then on. Their plan worked. They came away with three points, but how convincing did they look against Verona? I mean... They had a game plan, clearly. You can see, like, Onana was, like, trying to play the ball out quickly to attack on the counter. And then you see, like, the likes of Skriniar telling him, whoa, 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 slow yeah. it down, slow it down. You know, in fact, <laughs> there were quite a few disagreements between Onana and Skriniar in particular, um, who clearly had different ideas on yeah. how to play the game. Yeah, Onana doesn't agree with anyone, no? No, apparently he has a bit of personality issues, no, Onana? Yeah, <laughs> but he, yeah. what... Drinks and drives. What, <laughs> what was it again? Is it I'm not sure. Something I'm like not that. Sure. Something sure. like that. But Inter, you know, they dominated the game. 56% ball possession. They were unlucky not to double their lead. And it almost cost them at the end. But, you know, it was a stressful end to the game for Inter fans. But in, rea- in reality, they never really no. looked troubled no. by this Verona side. Absolutely not. I have to give credit where it's due and I have to give a shout out to Acerbi over here because Inter's defense did not look good at all in the beginning of the season. And it seems like when they made the direct swap of Devray um, out for, sorry, Devray out for Acerbi, Acerbi has really gotten his shit together and he's gelled with his experience. He's really gelled this back three together. And that's another former Lazio player under Simone Zaghi's system. He knows how this guy operates and being a bit of a captain in that yeah. back three as well, man. Especially when they play with a low line, I'm sure it'd be super. Yeah. Bastoni was back to his best this game. That's what I did notice. Huh? He was he was very, very good. Yeah, but um, Bastoni's had a good couple of games. After the World Cup, he's been brilliant, Bastoni. One of those. Gagliardini had a decent game, huh? As he well. did. And, um, and he spoke after the game and he said, I have to be honest, like I, I feel like I've grown in the past few years. He's like, I'm 28 years old now. I, I, need, to, I need to play. I need to feel important. He said that the, the team selection doesn't really make sense to him. It's not really logical. It's mm. just kind of name-based, you know, the fact that he's never considered. He feels like he should be. Um, so we'll see. He said we'll, he'll, see what, he'll see what happens next season. I, I think he's wrong. <laughs> I think players are played over him because they're more talented than him and they fit the system more than him. I don't think it's because they have another name. (laughs) A name that is different to his. But, I mean, I was going to say that's the spirit, but no, it's not. You need to train hard to be better than these guys. No, he's been an exemplary professional for all these years, no, I I mean, he has been, but to me that comment's a bit weird, man. It is a strange one, but you know, <laughs> probably he's like, I'm leaving next year, fuck them. <laughs> time, time to hear my side of the story. <laughs> but he did have a good game, um, Gagliardini, and obviously I wasn't expecting it from him. Firstly, those significant changes to Inter's team. I mean, virtually Chalnoglu is the only midfielder that normally starts in that team, and he was playing in the Regista role, in Brozovic's role. So it was a, a much different looking Inter team, and Gagliardini was good. He was very mature. He was patient on the ball. His tackling was good as well. So shout out to him, man. Shout out to him. 
Um, Inter have conceded four goals at home this season only, and they conceded 20 away from home this season. Yeah. What the hell? It's a, it's a, it seems to be a fear of crowds, you know? <laughs> Foreign crowds. Especially. After COVID. Yeah, maybe that's the case. No, but it, this is something common. No Teams tend to struggle away from home. And that's still the case. You know, people say, ah, because nowadays with the way you can travel and then the way... The, how easy life has become home and the way games don't really make a difference anymore. Mm. That's not the case at all, of course. Um, playing away from home is extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. No matter who you're playing against, you could be going to fucking Croatia, you could be going yeah. to Finland, you know, you could be going anywhere. It's going to be a difficult game. Mm. And even in Italy itself, traveling around, it's it's always difficult to play in a stadium that isn't yours. It can, the pitch can be slightly different, you know. Yeah. And that, that, those slight differences can change everything. Make Definitely. you feel really weird, can put you mm-hmm. off, like for the first half. In fact, you see Milan half the time in away games, first half, nothing, nothing mm-hmm. is done. Could be that that could be a different dimension in the pitch that throws them off completely. 100%, man, 100%. Inter have had a very mixed time returning from the, the World Cup. They obviously, in the first match, they handed Napoli their first and only loss of the season, 1-0. They then had a 2-0 lead against Monza and Monza brought it back to 2-2, a game which they ended up drawing. And they scraped past Parma in the Coppa and now they scraped past Ver- well, I, they scraped past Verona, one goal to nil. Um, I'm sure display, but they didn't also, they didn't really seem very convincing. They didn't seem dangerous. Mm. They just beat Verona who have really been struggling this season. But look, it's, we say this often, it's three points, it's a clean sheet, mm-hmm. and they rested many of their key players before a final. Yeah. So the, they won compared to Milan, you know, their they're competitors in the final. Uh, Milan are going to arrive way more fatigued, mm-hmm. way more distracted, and they're going to arrive with more confidence. Yes, sir. A Milan derby in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if we've ever seen that before. Very, very excited to see what's going to happen over there. At the moment, it is Inter who sit in fourth place on 37 points, level with Juve and three ahead of Lazio, Atalanta and Roma. Whilst Verona sit in 18th on nine points and there's still seven points behind Sassuolo in 17th. The next game we're going to be covering is Roma 2, Fiorentina 0. Roma lined up to their 3-4-1-2 formation with Rui Patricio in goal. Kumbulla, Smalling and Mancini at the back. Um, Kumbulla was replacing the suspended Ibanez. Zalewski played on the left, Celic on the right, Cristante and Bove in the middle. Pellegrini played behind Abraham and Dybala. It's pronounced Bove. Bove? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. All right, guys. Don't take that seriously. <laughs> Fiorentina lined up the 4-2-3-1 formation with Terracciano on goal, Dodo on the right, Biragi on the left, Igor and Milenkovic as a centre-back duo, Duncan and Amrabat in the middle, Ikona on the right, Kwame on the left, and Bonaventura behind Jovic. <clears throat> in the 23rd minute of the game, was pretty much over for Fiorentina <laughs> as Dodo got a red card. Yeah, I think his name couldn't be more accurate as the Dodo bird was extinct due to its lack of intelligence. <laughs> Lunged unnecessarily into a challenge which earned him a second yellow card of the match. What an absolute idiot, no? <laughs> Bro, honestly, it was so reckless, so rash. He was. You can tell these players but when this happens, they'd be so into the game. 
It'd be so mm. gassed, so much adrenaline, you know, really playing the occasion. He's at the Olympico, uh-huh. you know, the whole Roma, Roma, Roma. He was probably dying gassed. to go. Like, you know, gassed. gassed 23 minutes, he gets two yellows. Poor guy. You can't, you can't tell but feel for him. But it was a, a dumb move. But right? uh, it, it was a stupid decision to commit to a sliding tackle for that kind of challenge. Like in, in no way was a sliding tackle a good idea over yes. there. He should have stood his ground and just tried to nick the ball over there. But he com- overcommitted to it out of pure excitement, probably. You're right, bro. The last dodo bird was killed in 1681. Okay. <laughs> but the last dodo footballer was sent off in 2023. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, dodo. Yeah. In the 40th minute, Dybala opened up the scoring. Uh, it was Tammy Abraham who chested the ball to Dybala. It was a long ball from the back. It was amazing. And who unleashed a volley, which deflected off Milenkovic ever so slightly and crept under Terracciano. It was a great, great goal. Well, you keep on saying that that was a great goal. You know what I saw? Obviously, it was good play. You saw very, a, very a good lot of play. bullshit. And... <laughs> And the ball connected on the volley. Well, sure. But I saw a whole lot of bullshit. Like, the ball essentially rolled down the middle (laughs) and it went underneath the keeper because of the deflection it took. And everyone was like, oh, what a goal. That was (laughs) sensational. I'm expecting to look at the screen and see a ball fly into the top corner. Keeper clattered into the post. That goal was sensational. The long ball. Tammy chested it so so well towards towards the ball as well like you can hear the of his chest you know like like perfectly he laid it off to him and then the ball just connected so sweetly granted took a deflection it slowed down a bit and then Terracciano it went right under him and all that but you know you have to appreciate the move Ah, the fact that the move led to a goal beautiful goal the build-up was great Yes, the build-up to the goal was great. I agree. I agree. But it, it was, was underwhelming. But it was an under exactly. I was very disappointed with the okay. finish. In the 82nd minute, there was a brilliant ball by Cristante to Tammy Abraham, who squared the ball to the ball, finished into an empty net, and just pointed straight to Tammy, telling him like, "You are the man. This is because uh-huh. of you." And to be honest, this is how you build up your confidence as a striker. One late goal against Milan, you know, from a corner, scrappy. He doesn't even know how it happened. Like you know, uh-huh. it just fell to him, and he he hit it, falling backwards, scored. Mm-hmm. Had a few nice moments where he he rounded a few players. Um, to you know, hear the Olympico going, oh, you know, mm-hmm. um, a few nice touches. Like for a six foot five player, he's got quite good technique. Yeah. Yeah. Now this game, two assists, you know, so he's winning the fans back, man. Uh-huh. He's getting his confidence. The baller's saying, like, he's the man, he's the man. He'll mm-hmm. be back, Tammy. He'll how, be back. How did Roma ever cope without the baller in hey. their team? How did they do anything last season without the baller? It seems like he's been there for so long, the performances that he puts in for this team. He's getting Tammy ticking now as well. Mourinho has recently been asked as well. And um, this, this is a really funny Mourinho piece. They asked him, why doesn't your team perform well when the ball isn't on the pitch? It's like, you want to know? <laughs> you want to know? After this interview, we go out to the back and I will tell you, but not in front of the cameras. So I like Mourinho agrees. You know what I mean? No, no. He's, he's right. The ball is um, the type of difference maker. He said, he said that um, if you're lucky, you have won the ball on your team. Mm. Said in the modern game, a few of these teams have eleven. <laughs> <Dybala's>, you know, <laughs> 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 
Guys, the the Mourinho impression is something we've been we've been doing. We've been watching all or nothing Spurs, uh-huh, uh-huh. And Mourinho, and it's amazing. You know, it's just fun to watch. Man, um, it's excellent. It's excellent. It's so much fun to watch. If if you're somewhat intrigued by Mourinho, which you should be, mm-hmm. if you're a football fan, you should, you you should be one hundred percent. 100% you should be intrigued by this man watch Spurs all or nothing Spurs till I die whatever the hell it's called you get to see so much of him and one thing that really impressed me I'm straying off topic I know but it's more in your mm-hmm. fuck it um, was his team was down so Spurs were down 2-1 uh, in the Champions League group stage and they needed a win to progress I believe it was against Olympiacos Something like that. I they got a late, a late, um, a late nah, goal. They got a, they got a late goal, and they all Son. went in, and and Deli Ali was smashing shit, and everyone Son was smashing shit. Everyone was smashing shit, and Mourinho just walks in, and he goes, "Calm, calm." Everyone calm down. And then he started taking the yeah. piss over. Why you go? <laughs> Ball comes in, panic. Panic, <laughs> panic, panic. Just his players. Just telling them to chill, though. I yeah. liked it. It's good. No, I mean, had they not scored that goal in the first half to make it 2-1, he would have been mm-hmm. a different approach completely. Uh-huh. But yes, he's a fantastic, fantastic manager, Mourinho. 11. And a great, great character. Definitely. But yes, um, Dybala is the difference maker over here. I have no idea how they got things done before him. Um, but yeah, man, this was a very comfortable win for Roma, thanks to, once again, Dodo. Yeah, thank you very much, Dodo. I think it would have been a different game. I think Fiorentina have looked decent recently. They yeah. had Amrabat in the team as well, which was obviously going to improve stuff for them. But haha, again, a clumsy decision. Normally, Rome aren't known to be a very attacking, high attacking team, but they allowed them to be because of the red card. And we got to see Rome at full flow, at least because of that. Yeah, true. Like, this is how they would play, ideally. Roma sits seventh with 34 points, while Fiorentina sits tenth with 23 points. The next game we're going to be covering, and Lord, please help me with this, is Atalanta 8, Salernitana. So Atalanta started in a 3-4-3 formation with Musso and the back line of Scalvini, Palomino and Toloi. They had Ruggeri out on the left and Zappacosta out on the right. A midfield two of Deron and Copeminers. They had Boga out on the left, Lukman out on the right and Huyland up front. For Salernitana, it was a 3-4-1-2 formation with Ochoa in goal. A back line of Lovato, Fazio and Pirola. They had Candreva on the right. Bradaric on the left and a midfield three of Koulibaly, Caviglia and Vilena just behind the strikers with Piontek and Dia up front. So in the fourth minute, Boga opened the scoring. He cut in and took on three defenders whilst his shot from distance took a significant deflection and headed into the back of the net. That made it 1-0. Dia pulled one back shortly after to make it 1-1 in the 10th minute. It was a long ball by Ochoa that was flicked on by the head of Piontek to Dia, who slotted in between the legs of Musso. Very good finish over there. In the 20th minute, Lukman only just slotted in a penalty which was awarded after VAR noticed that Fazio's foul on Hoyland was just inside the area that made it 2-1 two minutes later Scalvini got his name to the score sheet making it 3-1 the youngster headed in a Coupe Miners corner when he was totally unmarked the 37th minute Coupe Miners made it 4-1 his penalty was saved by Ochoa but he slotted in the rebound shortly after the penalty was once again given away by Fazio on Hoyland 
In the 40th minute, it was Hoyland's turn and he made it 5-1. Lovato failed to intercept a ball on the halfway line, which Hoyland carried all the way to the opposition area and finished brilliantly. Kind of looked like a Vlaovic or an Ossiman over there. He looked very, very good to carry the ball forward and finish in the way that he did. 54th minute in the second half, Lukman made it 6-1. Lukman's strike from the edge of the area took a slight deflection of Pirola and flew into the top corner, making it 6-1. In the 56th minute, just two minutes later, Cavilla pulled one back. Dia pulled the ball back to Cavilla, who placed the ball into the bottom corner from just outside the area, making it 6-2. In the 61st minute, Ederson scored with an unstoppable drive from distance into the top corner against his former team that was our goal of the week and in the 85th minute Zortea made it 8-2 after Duvan Zapata found Zortea finishing to the bottom corner from a tight angle making it 8-2 say something whilst I take a bit of a break so David and Nicola the miracle man who uh, miraculously saved Salernitana from relegation last season um, I believe they were on a record of only only three wins, four draws, and double digits in defeats. I can't yeah, remember right yeah. now, but yes, they were. Everyone had them out. Mm-hmm. Everyone had them out. Um, David and Nicola came in and he saved them. And this season, they're nine points clear of the relegation pool. Right now, they're establishing themselves as a, a decent side with an identity in Italy, right? Yeah. But of course, um, he was sacked after this result, as it is uncommon in Italy for defeats of this nature to go unpunished. Mm. You know, you get embarrassed, the board takes revenge on the man who was responsible for that embarrassment. That's the way it works in Italy. Okay. And in fact, in the Premier League, um, we see scorelines like this and they just keep going. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's normal. <clears throat> uh, especially a, t- a team that currently sits mid-table-ish. You know, uh, com- when last season they were bottom of, they were out and dead and out for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And now they they've just sacked the manager just because of a result. I don't know. For me it seems a little bit um narrow-minded, stupid. a little bit stupid. stupid, impulsive. Because the only thing they can do is take two comparisons. Salernitana with David and Nicola and Salernitana with the two managers they had before that last season. Tell me which side was the better side. Yeah. The side with David and Nicola. There aren't a significant amount of players or, or, or a system in place, so on and so forth, that allows this team to thrive. It is literally the manager that made them thrive. It is this manager that turned things around and made them somewhat of a mid-table team. Okay, bottom tier mid-table, but a much better team um, uh, than, than they were. They now have a bit of... You know, respect, people are joining the team. We see the likes of Ochoa, the likes of Kandreva joining the team. Okay, they're based in It's hot property. Yeah, okay, they're in Salerno, so people are going to want to go there, but people are going to want to play good football and not get embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Now, they've been finding reasons to sack him. Even in the beginning of the season, when results weren't going their way, there was a certain period, even though they got off to a flying start, man. There were shouts that he was going to get the sack. And an 8-2 scoreline put them on the verge, not put them on the verge, it got them to, to finally sack him. Mm. Ahead of the derby against Napoli as yeah. well. How are the players going to feel? Do the players agree with this decision? Do they disagree with this decision? That I'd be interested to find out. But I doubt they would agree with it when he made the change that he did. Man, he's, he's, he's done miracles for this yeah. team. 
But unfortunately, this is common for David Nicola. He also pulled off a miracle in Croton and was only there for one year. Yeah. You know, um, the most he's ever managed the club for the longest stretch of time was two, a two-year period. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he's he's kind of a fix-it manager, mm. um, which is unfortunate because I thought he was building something solid over here. But yeah. now we'll see who they bring in. You know, they'll probably bring in like Daversa or someone like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Uninspiring, and you know, it's watching with worse and worse. Exactly. We'll see. With that point about the managers, to be honest, Pioli didn't exactly have a great resume managing the likes of Inter and Fiorentina yeah, when true. they were weaker sides. And he turned Milan to a Scudetto winning team. So as long as the manager fits the squad and he gets them ticking, then I think that's enough, man. I also have to add that I felt terrible for Ochoa. He looked like he was having a nightmare. <laughs> he pulled five saves off, you know, he, he saved. The second penalty, they scored the rebound. He tracked the first penalty, finished just over it. And um, he touched, he got a hand to the ball and went just under him. It was very yeah. frustrating for him. Um, Fazio gave away both penalties. So I just imagined, you know, Ochoa going like to the dressing room and seeing like Fazio and like Lovato playing mm. a game of FIFA or something. <laughs> Bring me the PlayStation. Disconnected. Bring me the PlayStation. Right here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uncanny. It's uncanny. No? <laughs> but it's, yeah. Bring um, me the playtaton. <laughs> but I think the person who should have been sacked for this performance was Fazio. Fazio. And in fact, Fazio got injured. And they're going to need to sign a centre-back to replace him. They haven't even signed the manager, but they're linked to Omar Colli. Okay, okay. That would be a good signing. A good for signing Salernitana, once again. Man. They have, they have pull, man. They have yeah. pull power. Yeah, everyone wants to live in fucking Salernitana. Yeah, I guess. And they have a, a very, very, very strong fan base over there. Yeah, a fan base like fan. no other, man. Salernitana. Yeah. Bunch of shirtless, unemployed men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, no, no, I'm kidding. But they're they're great fans. They have great songs like Enchanted. It's, it's yeah. Always a great vibe in Salerno. Yeah. Um. But yes, dude, this was extremely lopsided. Salernitana just couldn't keep up with the attacking prowess of Atalanta. They looked a little bit one-dimensional this game. It is true, it has to be said. Um, it was always the same system. They kept trying it, they kept, it kept failing, and they kept getting exposed and exploited. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think, I guess, Davide Nicola should have just parked the bus to minimize damage and keep his job. Like, But, you know, yeah. letting eight goals in, I guess, is... Especially when you're 11 against 11, it's uh-huh, uh-huh. it's not great, is it? Massive, massive shout out to Gasperini's Atalanta. What a fucking performance by them has to be said. Salernitana yeah. isn't an easy side to face and they managed to score eight goals against them. We've criticized Atalanta for their output this mm-hmm. year. Obviously, they've taken a bit more of a pragmatic approach. We all know that. However, they have lacked a certain amount of pace. Um, moving forward, they lacked the danger men that they had in Muriel, Duvan Zapata, Papu Gomez, Gorsens, yeah. so on and so forth in the past, Malinowski as well. Off to Marseille. Off to Marseille now. But they have now found Boga in good form and Lukman in good form. Mm-hmm. And those two on the flanks are very, very quick. They're very, very direct. Boga likes to cut in. Lukman likes to play very close to goal. And having Hoyland up front, that is some great balance over there, brother, is, up uh, front. It really is. And finally, they're playing Boga on the wing. 
Exactly. And and he's looking really disciplined. Definitely. And that's something that he's always lacked. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that things are finally working out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Erling Hoyland. No. Erling Hoyland. <laughs> what, what a, a player. He's 19 years old. He's, he's very so good. He's so strong. I'm Look, telling you, man, have... that goal that he scored where he carried the ball upfield. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He scores in so many different ways. So they have a 19-year-old really impressive talent at the back with Scalvini. Mm-hmm. They have a 20-year-old impressive fullback with Ruggieri, who does mm-hmm. a lot of running and a lot of hard work. Lose. They have a 19-year-old Hoyland up front who's scoring for fun at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. Atalanta is just a factory for talent, man. And it's crazy how a team with three teenagers, just off the top of my head, um, can absolutely decimate a, a squad with experienced players such as Fazio, Ochoa, Kandreva, you know, uh, Piontek. It's yeah. crazy how they tore them apart. <clears throat> 100%, man, 100%. The midfield was also very good. Cope Miners, as usual, what a fucking player over there. I feel like a player that often goes under the radar because of the type of player that he is, is the home. Mm-hmm. But what a fantastic yeah. player he's been for years, huh? Eh? For yeah. years with Atalanta. This guy has been very solid. Palomino, again, what a performance by him. What a defender, one of the greatest we have in Italy at the moment. For Atalanta, it's heaps of praise at the moment. We saw their former selves. We saw them, you know, how they were two seasons ago. Just attack, 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 attack after attack, attack after attack. Obviously, Salernitana were left exposed a lot. You had Lovato with errors leading to goals. We had Fazio with errors leading to goals. We had penalties as well. Massive gaps in the defense. But Atalanta managed to exploit that. And let me tell you what, it's very difficult to score eight goals in a game, even if you're playing fucking nine-year-olds, man. It's true, man. It takes a lot. Um, these guys scored their first goals ever for Atalanta was Zortea, Boga, and Ederson. Yeah. Um, Ederson, fun fact, scored his last Serie A goal for Salernitana against Atalanta. And now he scored his first goal for Atalanta. Yeah. Incredible. It's a Ruolo del X, no? So many romantic stories in Italy. I do think that Bia, Bia, my God, Bia, Bia is um, about to get a big money mover. Dia, uh, even the fact that he had a decent World Cup, Mm -hmm. that'll put him on the radar for a lot of teams. I think, for example, the likes of Fiorentina wouldn't mind having him as a a reserve for Jovic, for example. I don't even think Milan would mind picking him up at this point. Definitely, man. He's a a very good player. He's a very good player and people shouldn't overlook him. They shouldn't overlook him. So this brings Atalanta up to sixth place they're level on points with Lazio and Inter and keep in mind Inter are in fourth Lazio and fifth so and they're only three points behind Juventus and four points behind Milan so still time to turn things around for Atalanta this was a start and that brings their goal difference up to a positive 14 on the other hand Salernitana in 16th on 18 points level with Spezia and two clear of Sassuolo Speaking of Sassuolo, the next game we're going to be covering is Sassuolo nil Lazio 2. Sassuolo lined up with their 4-2-3-1 formation with Pegolo in goal to replace the injured Consigli. Rogerio on the left, Tolian on the right with Erlich and Ruan at the back. Obiang and Fratesi as the double pivot with Lauriente on the left, Berardi on the right and Traore playing behind Alvarez who replaced the injured Pinamonti. 
Provadel was in goal for Lazio as they played their 4-3-3 formation. He sigh on the right, Chasal and Romagnoli at the back with Marosic on the left. Cataldi was the regista with Luis Alberto and Milinkovic alongside him. Anderson was on the right, Zaccani on the left and Immobile up front who got injured, I believe, 30 minutes in, something like that. Yeah. 15, no, 15, 15 minutes in, 15 minutes in, in Mobile was injured, yes, um, and Will missed the Milan game. So, yes, it was 15 minutes in where Immobile was replaced by Pedro. He was clutching his hamstring, which has already caused him to miss four games this season. I'm sure all those fantallenatori who took Immobile um, are freaking out right now. Yeah, there's, there's someone, I think the Milan group chat mentioned it, someone that spent 660 credits to get out, Immobile out of a thousand. Which is crazy, uh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In the 46th minute, Zakani scored from the spot after VAR spotted the most obvious handball ever in history <laughs> by, by Trollian, who reached his arms out like a newborn frothing for some fresh milk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give some context. I'm going to give some context. So I write the goal descriptions, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jake does the stats <laughs> and sometimes I like tossing something in to throw Jake off <laughs> and this is what he wrote Okay, I'm, I'm going to read it again from the get go so in the 46th minute Zakani scored from the spot after VAR spotted the most obvious handball ever in history by Talian who reached his arms out like a newborn frothing from, for some fresh milky from mommy booby <laughs> Bobby, yeah. it's, it's so true, bro. He's reaching out like a toddler. What an idiot. What an idiot. Dude, again, I'm not even... I hate covering Sassuolo this I, season. I can't stand them this year. Dude, I can't it's, stand it's, it's them. It's the this same year. thing. Like, what else am I meant to say apart from, ah, um, Sassuolo played a decent game. They played to Lazio's level, especially in the first half, but two individual errors, one from Ruan and one from Tolian, cost them the game. Exactly. Like, it's just that every game, but with different names. Exactly. Exactly. Fucking hell, man. And if it's not them, it's Ferrari. Yes. Ferrari with two mistakes in two matches as well. Rogerio gets his fair share as well. Oh, man. You know, I mean, come on, dude. But anyway, yes, in the 93rd minute, Felipe Anderson um, scored the, the, what confirmed the game. Uh, Ron was very, sl- very slow to clear an oncoming ball, which was snatched by Felipe Anderson, who finished rounding Pegolo. Exactly. Consili, um, obviously, out injured. Right yes, con- exactly. Um, I don't know if you could have done much about that. Philip Anderson is no. the best shit player I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> yeah. A really good shit player. He's a really good shit player. <laughs> um, now, these are two teams, Sassuolo and Lazio, guys, who have not had a good start to the year. You look at Lazio, for example, they lost to Lecce after leading 1-0. They drew to Empoli after leading 2-0 late on. Sarri was furious. He underlined the squad's mental drops and matches as something that he wanted to see resolved. You look at Sassuolo, they had two 2-1 losses. One to Sampdoria, shouldn't have happened. One to Fiorentina, fair enough. But now mm-hmm. they have another 2-0 loss. Well, 2-0 loss this time, even worse, to Lazio. Um, I was interested to see what Dionisi had to say about Mm -hmm. the team and um, he said this basically we didn't experience what we're experiencing this year last year we even complicated our lives on our own everything depends on the home game against Sampdoria we have to bring out more personalities not find excuses and assume responsibility the kids aren't scared and they have to continue not to be 
He was also asked about the decision to take out Loriente, who was one of the most dangerous players. Mm-hmm. And he said that he only took him out because there's a player who's just as capable in Sadie, I believe okay. that's how it's pronounced. Mm. Um, but things did, did not go well for him again. So uh, he's addressing the poor fortune. He's saying that we have to assume responsibility. You know, he's doing all that. I think he's a man walking on a thin thread right now, Dionisi. A very thin I thread. I think that results need to come as soon as next week like and and that's the only way he'll keep his job because right now they're just free falling man yeah it does seem like he's the next manager out which is mm-hmm. a shame because we all had high hopes we for like, him, I like him. Swallow. I like him i still like I, I still like him as a manager i think he's a bit cursed mm-hmm. with the squad he has in front of him and, and just the system in which Sassuolo is run that Mintoff highlighted that you highlighted so on and so forth. It's a very, very tough team to manage. They, It was masked by a bunch of stars that managed to get everything ticking. Um, but yeah, it's not looking good for Sassuolo at all. They have to start investing the money more intelligently, more maturely. They have to sort out that defense. They have to sort out, well... Not concentration, the, man. The, the concentration as well. They need professionals. Yeah. <laughs> they need yes. professionals. It's as simple as that. It's true. I mean, he goes, you look at the statistics and even you just watch the first half. Sassuolo played to Lazio's level. It is true. It in the first true. half, yes. In the first it, half, it's yes. It's just the mistakes, man. The first half, yes. It's mm-hmm. through the second half. They, they, they were worse. But yeah, um, we might as well conclude this one. I mean, I don't have anything else to add. Sassuolo have fallen to 17th with 16 points, while Lazio are in 5th with 34 points. Yes, sir. The next game we're going to be covering is Udinese 1, Bologna 2. Stylistically, this was one of the matches I was looking forward mm. to the most, man, I would say. Yes. So Udinese lined up in their 3-5-2 formation. Silvestri in goal, New in Perez, Bijol and Bacau at the back. Udoji out on the left, Pereira out on the right. Makengo, Wallace and Lovrich in the midfield with success and Beto up front. Every single player there wins their 1v1. In physicality, it's true. It's this true. is a, this is a tank of a team. Like he, they just went all out strength for this. Yeah, one. yeah, hundred percent. It feels like when Udinese aren't performing too well, we we just say how strong they are. <laughs> that's the thing, though. I mean, you look at the, at the way it's true. They were playing before. They were popping in Samard, Zilch, and Deolafeu. You know, yeah. of course, Deolafeu yeah. was meant to start this game, but apparently he's rumored to be going to Aston, Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, so I think they just took a. a physical approach to this game they're like we'll win on the pitch yeah with our biceps you know Bologna are quite a physical team as well Uh, Mm. maybe not in their stature but in their play style Mm. I would say they lined up in a 4-3-3 formation Arnautovic was still out over there they started with Skorupski in goal Posh and Liko Janis as the two fullbacks with Samaura and Lukumi as the two centre-backs. It was Ferguson, Schouten and Morrow in midfield with Orsolini out on the right, Abisher out on the left and Sansone up front. So in the ninth minute, Beto opened the scoring. It was an early low cross by success that was at first time on the half volley by Beto into the top corner. In the 14th minute, Beto slid in and finished after a square ball by Bacau. But Bacau was off by the slightest of mar- margins and was caught by VAR it was very very tight very tight very tight the player in fact the defender that was marking Bacau had his arm around him but since the arm doesn't count and the shoulder counts he was still um, 
he was offside yeah. for that reason. But technically, his arm was keeping him onside, but obviously the arm needs to be chopped out in that scenario. Yeah. It was literally a millimeter, one of the closest calls I've seen in Serie A. Harsh. Very but, harsh. But fair. Yeah. 46th minute, again, consistency, no? Yeah. And if yeah. The, it's okay if they're all harsh, as long as it's consistent. Exactly. 46th minute, still in the first half, it was a brilliant team goal for Bologna, which was cancelled after a VAR check due to Sansone, the finisher, being caught offside. So two goals cancelled in the first half. In the 58th minute, so I don't know if you guys can hear, but my dog is behind me snoring. Probably won't hear him because we edit this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if, so if every time do... we talk about our dogs, people are like, dude, we can't hear anything. <laughs> but I, I hope you guys don't, is the point. Yeah. 58th minute, Sansone scored a legitimate goal this time after he controlled the ball with his back towards goal and struck the ball on the turn and on the bounce, on the half volley and into the bottom corner. It was a brilliant, brilliant goal. By Sansone over there 80th minute Posh scored Shouting flicked on a corner To the oncoming Posh Who headed in With no problem whatsoever In the 83rd minute I felt the need to highlight This success Missed an open goal After a deflected shot Put him in a great position With Skorupski grounded What a miss By Isaac's success yeah. Who could have given Udinese A very very well needed point Over there but he didn't. It was a brave performance by Bologna, who played a historically different, who played in a historically difficult stadium for them. Udinese were unbeaten in nine of their last ten Serie A meetings against Bologna. They won four and drew five, with their only defeat coming back in September 2018, which was a 2-1 defeat at the Dallara. Yeah. Um, again, they would have sealed the game with the if they if they got that second goal. Yeah. They were unlucky, and Bologna grew into the game. Yeah. They grew into the game, and um, I think that Bologna fans right now can be ecstatic. They should be ex- ecstatic, and they clearly are. Yeah. You know, um, a brave, courageous display. Yet another one. Um, their ambitions right now. Let's say coming into the season, Bologna aimed for a tenth place finish. Mm. Mm. At a point, they were like, there's no way we'd be lucky to survive relegation, they were saying. Exactly. It's looking likely, again, that they'd be on the left side of the standings. Huh? Yeah, they're just one point behind Fiorentina, who are in 10th, you know yeah. what I mean? And one point behind Torino, who are in ninth, And just three points behind Udinese, who are in 8th. Yeah. Bologna really managed to turn things around. We're seeing a bit of a similar situation to how Verona were last season. They started off mm. terribly with a certain manager. They made one change and then suddenly... They're shooting for top 10 over there. They're a very, very good side, this Bologna team. Yeah. They're better than Odinese. At the moment, it's as simple I as that. So, yes. They were better than Odinese. They put in a better performance. It was quite tight, but they got it done. So um, if you're wondering, by the way, what my co-host Matthew looks like, he looks like Sansone. That's the vibe. That's the aesthetic. You think? Yeah, man. I'm going to need to Google San- I know what he looks like, but I just have to see him in front of me. It's just the moustache and the hair, bro. Let's have a look. All right, so got a photo of him from what <laughs> seems to be 2007. I guess. That's the vibe, no? I guess. The hair is a bit different. Yeah, the hair is a bit different, but that's the vibe, no? I guess. I'll take that. Good yeah, then man. I look like um, either Saponara or Amrabat. Or Amrabat, yeah, one, one of them. Or both, basically. Yeah, the love child. <laughs> But yeah, Udinese, Bologna, the stats were very even, you know, we had 51% ball possession to Udinese, 20 goal attempts for Udinese, 15 for Bologna, and four shots on goal for Udinese, two for Bologna, and they both went in. 
Power yeah. to Bologna. I hope they keep climbing, man. Yep, Bologna are in fact in 11th place, like I mentioned earlier. One second, because I lost the table. Yep, they're in 11th place on 22 points, level on points with Empoli and one clear of Monza. Um, uh, while Sudanese are in 8th place on 25 points, just two ahead of Torino and Fiorentina. I just want to highlight quickly, just very, just a point I want to make, that second goal by Bologna is a perfect example on how to get a set piece working against a team that is much bigger and stronger than you that 100%. plays a fantastic low block play to the near post flick on to the back runner and behind goal exactly. and that was so smart by Bologna yes there's this wonderful page that Bologna have that, that, that yeah. breaks down this play beautifully yeah. what's the website bolognasportsnews.it bolognasportsnews.it like Jake said you can translate the page and some really good insight on very particular plays over there so look it up and enjoy it guys speaking of heroic performances um, Torino nil Spezia 1 is the next game we're going to be covering Spezia um, the only team in the bottom 5 that can do that man Man, oh man, oh man, dude, the Spezia team right now. I'm, I'm telling you, they're winning me over, huh, bro? Are they? They're winning me over, dude. The likes of Agudelo, Ampadu, Jazzy, and Zola, these guys spit blood for their team. Rekas, they, do. they don't stop, man. And this was a heroic performance again. Like, let, let's, let's get into it. Mm-hmm. So Torino lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation, the usual. The the spear, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they had Sergei Milik Sergei. They have Vanya Milikovic Savic in goal. Um with Bongiorno, Schurz and Gigi at the back. Voivoda on the left, single out on the right, with Ricci and Lukic in the middle, and Vlasic and Miranchuk playing off Sanabria. Spezia played the 3-5-2 with Dragovski in goal, Amian Kaldar and Nicolau at the back, with Holm and Reka out wide, and Agudelo and Padu and Burabia in the middle. Jazzy and Nzola played together up front. No way. <laughs> In the 28th minute, Nzola scored the penalty. Uh, Milinkovic Savage got very close but couldn't stop Nzola's perfectly struck penalty to, to the right. Um, it was awarded and the uh, yellow card was brandished to Gigi after he blocked the strike with his hand. So yeah. similar to Tolian's situation there. <laughs> yeah, but it. it... To, to be honest he was moving away yeah, yes. it wasn't as clear um, Gigi was clearly putting his, his arm towards his body but I think exactly. that rule is it doesn't matter anymore if your arm's going towards your body and it's still extended in an unnatural position it's exactly. still a handball exactly yeah. and initially it looked like it, it hit um, his tricep which was against his body but it actually went through his tricep and it hit a stray hand bro yeah. it hit a, a stray flopping hand <laughs> Essentially, Unlucky. whereas the fucking there's no need to speak about the Tolian one because Tolian his arms were extended outwards like an idiot. Mommy Milky, <laughs> Mommy Milky. In the 66th minute, Jazzy almost made it too, but this powerful shot from inside the area rattled the crossbar to the point that I thought they were going to need to replace <laughs> the, the goalpost. It, it rattled so aggressively. He shot that with all his might. Like. Just once ago, yeah. the poor guy. And in the 93rd minute, Dragovsky produced a great save after a header from Gigi. So again, like Dragovsky, heroic, everyone heroic dude over here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's what they've become, a team of heroes, a squadron of warriors, a pack of wolves. Oh! 
No, yeah, you but, heard that. That was Spezia. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you see Torino nil Spezia one, you expect absolute shithousery, you know? Yes. But that's not how this game went, huh? No. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, granted, Spezia had thirty three percent ball possession, but, but that's, they were picking their moments. And exactly, and it's because Torino are a side that dominates the game. Yeah. Against even many, against Milan. Yes. Um. They had five shots on target, man. Torino had four just to compare. So they took more shots on target than, than Torino. And their shots were of better quality as well, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, they were fucking fighting, man. They picked their moments and they played the ball around. They have these little patterns that they play. I really like Gotti in charge over here. It's almost like Gotti's gone under the radar. Now. He has less pressure than he had on him at Udinese. Uh-huh. He, he definitely and, has less pressure. He did get off to a slightly slow start. We saw Spezia really flirting with that bottom three over there, but they have a healthy gap now, man. They do, they do. And they have decent options over there. João Moutinho can come on. Um, apparently, Pato told João Moutinho to, to go to Italy. Okay, okay. fair enough. He had a good spell in Italy, Pato. Yeah. Zurkowski came off the bench. Ekdal came off the bench. These are decent options. And Spezia, I'm telling you, are, are quite a unit at the moment. Someone we shouldn't bet against at the moment. That's true. Perhaps. Who is their next match against? That's something I would love to know. And I'm going to find out right this second it only takes me a five a four a three a two a one they're away against Atalanta and then after that they're home against Roma <laughs> so these two games will be very telling for Spezia they picked up points where they needed to pick them up two losses wouldn't even be that bad for them right now yeah that's so true. that's the importance of picking up points when you need to man exactly like probably right now a draw against Torino they would have been like all right we'll take that but they actually went on and won it yeah Rose. Yeah, great win for Spezia, like I said. The only bottom five team that could go and beat Torino like that. They currently sit in 15th with 18 points, while Torino sit in 9th with 23 points. The next game we're going to be covering was a Serie B match last year. It was Cremonese 2, Monza 3. So for Cremonese, it was a 3-4-1 formation with Carnesecchi in goal and the backline of Qualiata, Bianchetti and Ferrari. They had Valeri out on the left and Gilione out on the right with Meite and Pickle in the midfield. Okereke out on the left, Saju out on the right and Dessers up front. Pardon me. For Monza, it was a, also a 3-4-1 formation. Di Gregorio on goal, a backline of Itzo, Mari and Caldirola. Birindelli out on the right and Carlos Augusto out on the left with Pessina and Machin in the double pivot. Churia out on the right, Caprari out on the left with Petania. The king with his back towards goal, Petania oh, playing a up front. Unit, huh, Petania. I'm telling you, he's, he's the type of guy you'd want to spearhead the team of this caliber. Yeah. You know, like who else would you rather have up front on a team that you've just been promoted, you know, to lead the line? Good the same point. thing as Spal, but he has way better players around him. Good point. Good um, point. He's got two mobile attacking players playing off him in Churi and Caprari who can do mm-hmm. all the running for him. Um, he's got Birindelli and Augusto playing out wide who can cross the ball into him and Pessina mm-hmm. and Machin playing in the middle or Sensi exactly. who can also ping him a good ball. Man. Exactly. I'm telling you right now, Monza look really nice. They look good. 100%. And they were attacking so well in the first half. Let me get into it. In the seventh minute, Churia opened the scoring. He tapped in after some brilliant one-touch football in the opposition area, which ended in Petania squaring the ball to him as Churia finished into what was virtually an empty net. A few moments later, in the 15th minute, um, there was a penalty and Caprari sent Carnesecchi the wrong way. The penalty was awarded after VAR caught a foul by Gilione on Itzo, making it 2-0. 
in the 51st minute, Di Gregorio got the save of the season so far. He dropped down to deny a great Piquel header. What a goalkeeper. Keeps on proving it time after time. Di Gregorio is the real deal. In the 54th minute, Caprari scored his second of the match and Monza's third. It was another beautiful attack by Monza, fast, accurate and creative. The attack ended with Caprari finishing cleanly after Petania pulled the ball back for him to get his second assist of the match and Caprari's second goal of the match. Monza then made a couple of changes. Cremonese made a couple of changes. Monza were settling. Cremonese wanted something out of the match. In the 67th minute, Ciofani pulled one back as he headed in after a Valeri cross. And the 82nd minute, Desser scored after a very long ball over the top fell to him. And he managed to squeeze it in on the half volley from a very tight angle. Brilliant first half by Monza. Even the beginning of the second half, it was the changes that slowed them down. But wow, a lot to be impressed by, man. Definitely, bro. Um, Monza, with the help of a few master strokes from the legendary sporting director Adriano Galliani, of course, have risen from the tired, depleting testicles of Silvio Berlusconi. 100%. Up his dusty urethra. Oh, wow. And out in impressive volume, drenching Serie A with their dazzling play and cult hero type <laughs> players, bro. So essentially, Monza are an artificial cum shot. That's, <laughs> That's what they represent, man. They represent Berlusconi. Mons are old money, baby. Mons are old money. That's what I like about them. Look at the squad they managed to build with that old money. It's at the back, very underrated. He was even underrated. Um, at Torino, he's a very versatile defender that gets involved going up front a lot. And you often see him straying out wide mm-hmm. as well. Pessina in the midfield, wow, what a player. Machin goes totally under the radar. He wasn't even playing. He wasn't even playing. I'm happy he's playing. He's now. He, he so looks really fucking good. good. He's a seven for a reason. Like yeah. Before they were rich. He exactly. Carlos Augusto. And then there's no need to say anything about Caprari. He's a yeah. fucking star. And then Petania up front just to glue everything together. And they're still missing the likes of Rovella, for example. No, this team is, this team is amazing. Thank you. Sensi yeah. and they're picking it up. They they are where we expected them to be in our earlier prediction of the league table. I think I had them in eleventh or twelfth. Ha ha! Matt is so stupid. Thirteenth, <laughs> thirteenth. One point yeah. behind Bologna and Empoli. Two points behind Fiorentina and Torino. They're they're good. They look good. But it has to be said um, that they. Their substitutions really weakened them this game. Yes. And they almost allowed Cremonese to equalize towards the end. There, it was a massive Di Gregorio save that actually kept them in it. So, so yeah, they were flirting a little bit with um, with an upset over there. Yeah, they, they have those injuries, so they don't have a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, depth in their squad at the minute. Imagine they brought on Rovella, for example. Yeah, yeah. Something of the sort. It's true, they do have injuries, but they have a capably deep squad. Yeah. They're capable, again, their offensive manoeuvres, as we highlighted, are so varied, man. They Amazing, can cross out bro. wide, they can play it cleanly through the middle, like they can try to flick it off of Petania, the long ball from the back. They're, they're a very good side. And I'm surprised with the manager, um, Paladino. Yeah. He's he's really done well as the, as the caretaker manager. That's what he was initially after the sacking of Stroppa. Exactly. I think he has a good future ahead of him, man. He does. That guy. Definitely. He does. So yeah, great. Great to see here. Uh-huh. I just want to highlight Di Gregorio one more time because genuinely it was the save of the mm-hmm. season so far. You know the one I'm referring to? I know to. the one. He dropped down, no? Really, like the last second on a... Like, like, you know, they say 
the greatest save was Gordon Banks on Pele. Yeah. I believe. Okay, that was obviously better. I don't want to sound yeah. like a, like a sensation list. But it was similar. It was that kind of save, guys. You should look it up. What a fucking save by Di Gregorio. But Monza. yes, um, Cremonese is still struggling over here. They always fucking put in a shift, but they never managed to get away with They're anything. They're one of the two teams in Europe's top five without a victory, Cremonese. Oh, wow. And um, they play much better than the other team. The other team, I can't even pronounce the name, is Elche in La Liga. Elche. Elche, yeah, Elche. Elche. Uh, but they're terrible in La Liga. Uh, they, I, they're, they're a horrible team. Like. I remember Elche a couple of years mm. ago. They're obviously a, a much different team like now. They're, they're shit not. this year, apparently. But Cremonese, it's surprising because they, they play some good football, the poor guys. Quality football. They do, man. Right now, we're watching them drawing away against Napoli. Just yes, so you guys know. taking them to extra time in the Coppa yeah. Italia. But, but yeah, yes. Cremonese are last with seven points, still winless, while Monza are 13th with 21 points. Yes, sir. You're up. The last game we're going to be covering is Empoli 1, Sampdoria 0. Empoli lined up with a 4-3-1-2 formation with Vicario and goal. Parisi, Loperto, Ismaili and Ebuehi at the back. Bandinelli, Marin and Akpro as the midfield three with Baldanzi, Caputo and Satriano. Sampdoria played their 3-4-1-2 formation with Audero on goal, Nuitin, Camione and Colli at the back with Leris on the right, Augel on the left, Juricic and Vieira in the middle with Vera in the pocket and Lammers and Gabbiadini up front. Now, in the 55th minute, Marin's corner found Ebuehi at the near post, who towered over a sea of shirts and headed the ball into the back of the net, with Audero coming out to collect it rather, hopefully, yeah. perhaps a little bit recklessly. It was very it. crowded, yeah. there was no way he was getting to that. So it's the 100th minute of the game. Sampdoria sit in 19th with 9 points. They're playing against Tempoli, right? They're losing 1-0. Audero's up, everyone's up. They have bodies in the box. They need to equalize. Cross comes in, whatever confusion. Odero manages to con- contribute somehow. He, he fucking and, shifted yeah. <laughs> to the part of the striker. And then Colley gets a goal. Scenes, everyone freaking out, celebrating. You know, they managed to get a crucial point in the relegation escape. Yeah, that's it. That's all you hear. And then all of a sudden, drama, you know, you know when like the... The camera pans to the referee and everyone's like staring and looking around and people are trying to talk to him but his hands, his fingers are on his ear so you can tell like he's not listening to anyone. He goes to the VAR, the VAR board, the monitor and he, he's taking a look but the very comes back and he cancels the goal. Apparently, not apparently, now we know why um, to the referee's logic, Gabbiadini handled the ball in the box. Right, but it was while he was being fouled from the back by by Parisi by Luperto so, by Luperto. Sorry. So in reality, according to a to a professional ex referee, I forgot who it was, but he was speaking on Sky and he said that um, if anything, you go to the VAR board, you see, okay, if the hand interfered with play of your team, granted, you can't allow the goal, but you give a penalty because he was fouled, yeah. right? But that wasn't the case at all. And um, Stankovic charged onto the pitch with his arms wide open. We're playing for our lives! <laughs> Say that to the referee, you don't blame him. You don't blame the guy. And apparently the fighting and the brawling continued in the tunnel and one of Sampdoria's um, coaching staff was sent off and all that it was massive drama towards the end of the game. 
I'm upset for Sampdoria. I do like Empoli, but I'm but I am upset for Sampdoria. So obviously, because of the situation, getting an equalizer in the 100th minute, all the emotions are going to be high. Just like when Juve conceded against Real Madrid from a penalty, and Buffon told the goalkeeper, uh, told the referee that he has a trash can for a heart, for example. Yeah. But the same thing essentially happened here when both calls were correct, in my opinion. So the referee clearly did not deem the challenge by Luperto on Gabbiadini as a foul. Because had it been a foul, he would have given the penalty. Because then there was the handball, so advantage is over, so it's a penalty. Obviously, since he didn't deem it a foul, then it's just a handball. And it's obviously harsh because Gabbiadini definitely didn't go to ground for nothing. But was it enough to be a penalty? I thought it was, bro. His backwards towards goal, who was on the edge of the area, there were a bunch of bodies behind him inside of the area that basically didn't put Gabbiadini in a goal-scoring position. I feel like Luperto was closer to the ball than Gabbiadini. Gabbiadini stretched his leg out to get to the ball, which caused him to collide with Luperto. I don't feel like Luperto did anything wrong in that situation to bring him down. the, The man before the ball? But I don't think the ball was um, Gabbiadini's to take. I feel like Gabbiadini put himself in a situation where, you, you know how it is, you stretch your leg out and, and you but purposely that's, that's get the, caught. Exactly, that's the why street smart striker's way of getting a penalty. It's cheap perhaps, but it's fair. No, you got clipped. And you got a penalty. Now, to be Strikers are praised for that. To be completely fair... Um, the camera angles that I saw were um, in portrait with the front of Gabbiadini and the front of Luperto. So I didn't see any clips going on. Mm. I just saw two men colliding and Gabbiadini already being slightly off balance. Mm. So that's why I don't think that it was a foul. Now, if there was a clip, if there was a trip, so on and so forth, then in that case, perhaps, then yes, it should have been a penalty. But I didn't see that. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, we'll we'll go and look at it more. Um, we'll post <laughs> it on our stories as well. Um, the Dazen guy, the guy on Dazen, not Sky, by mm-hmm. the way. So I got two things wrong. I didn't know the referee's name, and I uh, I said he was on Sky. He was on Dazen. Okay. Uh, it was Luca Marelli, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Luca Madonna. Yeah, <laughs> Luca Alla Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> Luca Madoffi. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Sam's goal should he said Sam's goal should have been disallowed, but the, they deserved the penalty kick anyway. Okay. So yeah, interesting. Um, Ebue he got his first Serie A goal. I like Ebue a lot. He was one of uh, Venezia's men when they were in Serie. Yes. Um, Venezia could be going down to Serie Tre, so it really was. Um, we're, we really were lucky to see them in Serie. Definitely, man. Definitely, they could have all the nice kits in the world, but unfortunately, they are significantly struggling, and they still do have yeah. one of the better teams. And they teams. have good investors. Now they have American owners, so I don't know how the hell they're doing so badly. Yeah. But yes, this was a cagey, cagey, cagey game, guys. Yeah. It was 50-50 ball possession, 16 shots each, like five mm. shots on target for Empoli, seven for Sampdoria. I really think Sampdoria deserved something from this game. 100%. And even coming into this game, I did think that Sampdoria were going to get something out of it. I didn't know if it was going to be three points. I thought they'd be very motivated and that their goal would have been three points. They've looked a much improved side, man. They've looked much... They look really good and they'll be disappointed to take nothing out of a game against Empoli. But Empoli, once again, held their own and they managed to get away with three points. A bit of a miracle 
at the end, obviously, as we discussed, but massive kudos to Empoli and Sampdoria's story isn't over yet this season. They're going to fight as much as they can for survival, man. Yep, so that's it, guys. That's it from us. Thank you very much for listening. One second, because one thing we didn't really address that we only addressed in the intro after the Cremonese Monza match. Zapata to Everton, because that might happen. Zapata to Everton might happen. That's interesting. Um, But no, um, Alvini was sacked. Ah, fuck. Yes, you're right. We forgot to talk about that. Yeah. Alvini was sacked and perhaps, yes... um, you know, you hate to see it, but fair, you know? Uh, yeah. That's a fair one. You look exactly. at Dove De Nicola, that's not a fair one. Like, they still haven't won a game. Mm, exactly. It is what exactly. it is. They haven't won a single game yet. And now he's been replaced, no? He has been replaced, and it was Ballardini, the relegation expert, who has come in to take his place, the coolest man in the league. You see this guy's always with his beanie, with his glasses on. He's a really cool old dude. Um, he tends to take a, a very pragmatic approach in his football and his style of play. Yeah, he's the military man, no? Yeah, yeah. No, what do you mean the military man? Doesn't he... Um, uh, Line them up like and yeah. watch them? No, that was... that was. Who the hell was that? I think Mazzari do it. Mazzari. Mazzari. He has them jog like back and forth like in, in files and he stands mm. there like watching <laughs> them like a, like a sergeant or something. But yeah, um, so we have Ballardini back, coolest guy in the league. Um, he definitely won't be there for more than a year. <laughs> yeah, no. Caretaker manager. But we'll see. We'll see what he manages to do with Cremonese. Currently, he has them, as we mentioned, going to extra time against Napoli in the Coppa Italia. Exactly. One other thing we have to say is obviously where Empoli and Sampdoria stand in the table. And oh, it's actually right. I Sampdoria. To, I tried to win this way too quickly. I hey, you just really want to watch Love Island, man. No, I want to watch the rest of this game. <laughs> Matthew's like, dude, let's try to finish recording before um, 10 o'clock so we can watch Love Island. <laughs> I'm like, Look, what the fuck are you talking? I'm like, there's Napoli Cremonese on. Brother, <laughs> like, day one and the thrill is like Empoli, Sampdoria and the 100th minute. I mean... Who is it? That guy that has three girls after? Whatever. This isn't a fucking Love Island podcast. We'll start one. Okay. Sampdoria are in 19th on nine points level with Verona. Guys, these guys, as much as we still want to see them in Serie A, and we have high hopes that we will next year, they are far behind Sassuolo. They're far behind safety. Still seven points for them to gain. Thankfully for them, there's about 33 points still to be played for. Yeah. Um, so Sampdoria 19th on 9 points level with Verona, whilst Empoli are in 12th place on 22 points, level with Bologna and just one behind Fiorentina and Torino. Guys, it's been a pleasure as always. Do make sure to give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter to stay up to date and also check out our fun little snippets. Give us a rating wherever you're listening. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening to us as always. We've been Serious Spotlight. We'll see you guys next week.